I knew a few months ago or a couple months ago that I was going to be asked to preach on this day, and I hadn't really settled on a topic. And then we had the um, we had the concert for the Alona Foundation, and it really kind of locked in. I said, I, I know exactly what I'm going to, to preach about. Um, you know, if, if you don't know this church, then then it's okay. They're like, if you're a visitor, what you have to understand is that the, the, the church of Christ is kind of, is, is not kind of, it really is an extended family. We still have our families, but then we are connected in a, in a spiritually profound way in Christ that it's a larger family. And so when one or many of us are in mourning, the entire congregation is affected by that. And so um, when Amy was speaking about um, her very raw and personal struggles with mourning, and then Leonard as well, I really learned a lot through about suffering through Amy's uh, vocalization of that. In fact, as um, what, there was a, a visiting uh, young couple that Sonia had talked to afterwards, and she said to her, and I'll probably mess up exactly what she said, but Sonia reported that she said, I kind of felt like I was intruding on somebody else's grief when I was there for a little bit because it was so personal, so, so close to the heart. And then as she continued to listen, she was telling Sonia in tears that then she felt like, but this is a kind of community or this is a kind of place where you could feel like it was okay to express that grief, that somebody was going to come alongside of you and love, love you um, through that process. And I've got to tell you that um, I've never really understood, I, I kind of, under, you can kind of intellectually understand passages such as there's more wisdom in the house of grief than there is in the, in the house of mirth, or the ho- there's, there's wisdom in the house of mourning that you won't find in the house of mirth or fun. And um, I was reflecting on the fact that comedians get, a paid, get paid a lot to, to make us laugh and to, um, or successful ones, but you never really hear about like, um, you know, highly paid funeral directors or things like that or, or things that deal with mourning. And I think what happens a lot of times in mourning is that people want to kind of move people like out of the house of mourning into the house of mirth saying, get over this. Why, don't, why can't you stop um, talking or thinking about these kinds of things? And I, as, as Leonard and I have talked more so because more so, we, we talk a lot, I realize one of the worst parts about mourning is, is hearing the things that people say that they think they're being helpful, but they're actually not at all being helpful. And I'm not saying this to make any of you feel like, oh, oh, I hope I didn't say the wrong thing, but there's just a lot of voices that people hear when they're dealing with grief. And, um, and, and the idea I think that a lot of people have is that, you know, okay, that happened, let's move on. But the reality, beloved, is that we live in the midst of the fall. We live in the midst of things that are calamitous. We live in the midst of things that cause irreparable marring of our souls and, and that sort of thing. And the church of Christ is, 
is if it's anything, it's very real. It's only, it's only going to deal with reality. It's not going to deal with the facade of things that people do to distract them from not only the reality of our present condition, but also the reality of the continued pain that comes about when we lose a loved one and, or the other things where we know that the enemy and, our, and sin has caused death and mayhem in our lives and it leaves irreparable harm. And we need to be the kind of wise people in the house of God that learn how to talk about and learn how to be, come alongside those who are in the midst of grief. grief. And so this is what... Um, all this was kind of compacting in my mind and a bunch of other things over the last month or so as I've been reflecting upon it, I immediately thought of Naomi in Ruth chapter one. And so we're going to be going through Ruth and you're going to understand a little bit about grief, but more so hopefully about the kind of God that we have who loves people who um, are his own. So please stand for the reading of God's word. Ruth chapter one. In the days <coughs> excuse me, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephraimites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took two, two, um, these took, I'm sorry, excuse me, these took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malam, Malion, I'm sorry, Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Please be seated. So one of the things that's one of the things you first see, it's kind of a reporting, but it does kind of show like kind of almost the frightening aspect of life. Um, it's compact, and it's, it's true in the book of Job as well, that it only takes five verses for some, somebody to go out full and to lose their husband and, and, and their sons, and suddenly calamity has come. Death has come upon the household. And um, Naomi went out with a husband and two sons, which meant like her family the family is very important because it meant the continuation of that family. And now Naomi goes and she's left somewhat full. And, and it reports that, they, that her husband died immediately upon going into Moab. And uh, her two sons marry two Moabite wives. And then 10 years later, her two sons are dead. And suddenly she's left with nothing. Well, she's got daughters-in-law, but that's, we haven't gotten to that far. We haven't gotten to that point yet. But the, 
the thing that we need to recognize here is that it do, the, the scriptures here don't make an, an exact judgment on this, though there is some problems kind of in the text. But one of the things we need to kind of understand here is that the scriptures may, 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 may communicate that something's not quite right, but it doesn't always communicate how God is going to deal with that action. Because Elimelech is living in Bethlehem, with his, with his wife and two sons, which, um, which kind of ironically means the house of bread. And he leaves because there's a famine in Israel, which we had already understood from God earlier in the scriptures, that he's the one that provides for his people, that if they are faithful to him, then he's going to provide food for them. He's going to provide for, the fam- for their family and for the nation itself, but something's going on, and it's in the time of the judges, and when we read of the time of the judges, you almost think like it's a, it really is kind of a dark time, right? You see kind of like faithfulness and unfaithfulness, and it seems like there's a seesaw where God only seems to care for the people when the people are faithful, and then they, they kind of go um, on their on their own, and then suddenly they're under foreign rule again, or bad things are happening. Well, we don't know exactly when, but Elimelech, instead of staying, he decides to take his sons northeast, his wife and sons northeast, into Moab, which, is, which are historically enemies of the house of Israel. They are descendants of Lot, and, um, and it's not necessarily a good opening for people who would understand this from, the, from Israel. But the point here, and I think this is one of the things where you could decide, well, what we really need to kind of look at Ruth, the book of Ruth, is to see what happens when you're unfaithful. If you're unfaithful, then look what happens. You lose your husband and your two sons. But if you're faithful, things are going to work out. And so let's kind of get past Let's kind of get past the death and mayhem and get on to the good things because really what we're about is we're trying to figure out how to avoid why bad things happen to bad people because I don't want that to happen to me. So let's get on to the part in which we see faithfulness because then we'll see flourishing and that's what I need to learn because I know that if I go to the wrong places, this is what's going to happen to me or do the wrong things. And if I do the right things, then good things are going to happen to me. That kind of theology that I just expressed is exactly the kind of theology that Job's friends employ when they're trying to figure out what's wrong with what what happened to Job. Why has calamity struck you, Job? What did you do wrong? Um, Maybe you, did you ever go to Moab? Like, you know, did you, did you go to Disney World? You know, we should be boycotting them. Um, But God reproves them because it's not up to mankind to kind of figure out what can I, what, what, is, what is that guy doing wrong or was that lady done wrong that bad things have happened to her. And what we need to also recognize is that the, the grief that comes about, um, comes about from this is real and in one sense can never really be put back together in the sense of the loss that occurs. And so we, as we continue into, in, in this real life event that occurred in the, in, in the life of Israel, we need to kind of understand that lest we move past the grief of three women who are going through the loss of these men. Continues in verses 6 through 18. Then she arose with her daughters, 
with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited the people and given, given them food. She, so, so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her, to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kind with, kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore return from mar- Would you therefore re- refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. For it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See your sister And she said, See your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave. Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. I don't know if my kids ask me or dare me whether or not I'm going to kind of get choked up during these things. I don't do this on purpose, okay? In fact, I think when I preached at their, their school not too long ago, they're like, what's wrong with your dad? I've never seen that before. But anyway, um, I think that you have to understand that so much has been compressed into me considering these things that it's very, it's very um, moving to consider the kinds of things that are being expressed under the surface. Because Naomi hears that the Lord has visited his people and that there's grain in the land now and she's decided to return from Moab after over a decade. So she understands that God is the one that provides for food. And then as she's going, her daughters-in-law decide to come with her because she loves, because they love her. And she she says, why are you going to go with me? 
Like, why don't come with me? Now, we think that the, the problem that we have is that we can never understand. We can't, we, can't really, we can't really live through everything and say, oh, yeah, I understand what, what's going on with this by just a historical understanding of this. It may seem strange to us the way that Ruth is telling them, but, uh, telling them to do this, but essentially she's telling them, why will you go into abject poverty to come with me? Why will you subject yourselves to scorn and all sorts of things that are going to happen? Maybe not scorn, but just essentially you have a much better chance if you remain here, go back to your mother's house, you're going to be able to find a husband, you'll be provided for economically and that sort of thing. Don't go with me. The Lord has made life extremely bitter for me, is what she says. And it's not the first time she's going to say this. Now, in one sense, and then, and then later on, she kind of talks about this as well. But one thing that we see in Naomi is two aspects. One, that she believes, as Ephesians 1.11, that all things, that, 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 that God is sovereign over all things. Everything that happens is according to the sovereign work of God. And so she doesn't deny this even for herself and, and, and talks about that the Lord has brought this about upon her. And so there's an aspect upon Naomi's testimony is that in God, because when God controls all things and God is bigger than all things, and beloved, if you think that God is just a bigger version of yourselves and not altogether greater and more profound than you can understand, then you haven't really wrestled with who God is. And mourning causes a wrestling with God because he is so big and so um, um, mysterious and beyond what we can comprehend, that his sovereignty sometimes is dark and doesn't really provide answers. And what Naomi understands is that, not, that, is that, is that however this has happened, that God was not, that didn't just happen by accident and God, did, God wasn't somehow, um, hadn't decreed it or in some other way, uh, the, the, the events that came about were under God's control. But she also testifies and understands that God is the kind of God that provides bread. So she's wrestling with God. But she's wrestling with God, not against him. And she tries to tell her daughters-in-law to go back, and she's actually being very faithful. This is one of the things that we want to talk about here but we're going to be talking about the idea of chesed here. But one of the things that she does is she loves her daughters-in-law so much is that she's, she's marred, she's bitter, and she's like, I don't, you guys, you, she probably wants them to go with you, but she loves them enough to say, you have been very faithful to me. May God provide and be faithful to you in the way that you have loved me, but, but go away from me because Life with me is only going to be hard. Go back, to your fa- go back to your family and to your gods because that's essentially to this where, and you're going to be provided for her. And Orpah cries and kisses her and goes back to her mother. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but Oprah's na- named after Orpah, but her family misspelled the name. So just that's a freebie. It doesn't really mean anything other than I thought about it today and thought I'd pass that on in case you didn't know that. But um, Ruth clung to her. And the confession that she gives is so amazing. 
It's like used in wedding ceremonies at times because the confession is so profound. It's like there's just nothing that's ever going to separate from me. And she confesses her, her loyalty and love to, to Ruth that no matter, or to Naomi, no matter what happens, I'm going to you're, I'm going to follow you into this, and your God is going to be my God, and where you die, I'm going to die. And she's signing up for, for, um, for, for poverty, essentially. And there's nothing rational about this. There's nothing that you can say, why would Ruth do this? Maybe she loved Naomi, but it has to go beyond that because there's nothing in her interest to be able to do this. And this is the, this is the concept of chesed. It's, 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 a, it's a, a Hebrew word that I've been just kind of, I've been kind of like mulling over and we're going to get more into what, what God's chesed is. But it's more of about an action. It's a disposition. It's a way in which you, it's a way in which you're just kind of so for a person that you're going to sacrifice and you're going to do things for them. It, 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 it encompasses love, loyalty, mercy, going out of your way for them and doing things. I was thinking about... Um, I don't know why, but maybe this is a compliment, Luke and Jillian. I was thinking about them today in terms of how they have the, the, the care that they have for Maisie. You know, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying, oh, because I didn't think any of you other parents were like that. But the way in which, um, the way in which they love a little girl... The way in which they have concern for her, the way in which they'll do anything for her, the way that, that, that Luke dotes on Jillian, it's a chesed towards Jillian. It's like, I'm going to do anything for you. I'm, gonna, I'm, going to, I'm going to sacrifice for you. My life is for you. Um, the only thing that will, will cause us to be apart from each other is death. And, and you have to have chesed for children, because there's nothing sometimes about them that's, that's uh, there's, there's, there's something about them that almost like a, a, a parent like can't help but do this. It's not like something, it's not like um, the child always does things that attracts the parent to them, but the, the parent is totally drawn to the child to do any, anything they can for that child's interest. And that's why I, I was thinking about the fact that um, I, I don't know what it is. I think that I was listening to this this one woman ta- describe it, and I joke around a lot about the birth of my children and talk about the fact that I never gained any weight during five pregnancies and things like that, and and how the the the, the delivery was was really easy in all cases. I mean, I never really felt any discomfort. But the reality is that the woman's experience of the bearing of a child and everything else is so much different than what a man goes through. And I was, I've talked to Sonia and, other, and others, but I was listening to this one woman describe recently, and maybe it kind of caused something to click in me, that, that women, because the child is in their, inside of them, that it feels like it's part of them. In fact, they kind of go through this, some women go through a period of depression when the baby's outside, even though they're holding the baby, because it feels like they've lost something. And I think in one sense, this is what's so intense about motherhood that I could never understand, and why mothers tend to be so, have so much more um, chesed historically, is because it's almost like that child is so much a part of them, that when that, that no matter what happens to that child in the future, no matter how 
the child turns out, the mother is, is often the one, and fathers can be this way too, but I think that's what's so intense about motherhood. And I was just reflecting upon that as I was thinking about Naomi losing her sons. And I don't want to discount um, fathers losing, lose, losing their children. I was just reflecting on that reality. But this is, this is a, um, a very important thing that when, when Ruth displays her loyalty and love to Naomi, now it's almost like Naomi stopped talking, just said, okay, I'm not going to say anything else. I'm not going to convince you otherwise. And, but I think, in, I think in a real way, Naomi was relieved to have somebody go back with her. She wouldn't have said, she probably would have understood it, but, you know, the mourning need people around them. And to have her daughter-in-law come with her and to say, I'm going to share um, your burdens with you was of tremendous benefit to Ruth. And you'll, I'm sorry, to Naomi. And you'll see that Naomi's confession of, of the way that God has treated her will continue. But the, the, the reality is things are unfolding in a way that it's okay that Naomi has this confession about God because what's true about God is he's going to bring about things whether or not we always have the right things in mind as to what he's, about, what, what he's doing for us. So it continues in verses 19 to 22. So the two women went, out, went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the women, uh, the whole town was, was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So they come back to Bethlehem, Naomi's hometown, and the, the whole town is stirred because they haven't seen Naomi for over a decade. <clears throat> and they're like, is that Naomi? But, but I think part of it is that the events that had transpired in Naomi's life had been so marring that there was almost like, that looks like Naomi, but she's been changed by the things that have happened to her. In fact, she's so been changed that she says, don't call me Naomi, which by the way, the name means pleasant, but call me Mara, which means bitter. And I guess uh, Amy was telling me that when Myra found out that that's what her name was, she was kind of disappointed in that. <laughs> but my mom's name is Marianne, and it's a very, it's actually one of the most popular names in human history to be named Mary um, of some sort, Mara, Ma Myra, um, different versions of that. They all mean bitter. And what she's testifying of this, my, my life now is bitter. The Lord, in one sense, on a play of words, has marred me by the way. He's testified against me. Is this, 
Is this true? This is what Naomi's testimony is, is that God has testified against her. Maybe she feels like the decisions that we made as a family have come back to haunt me. This has happened. I've lost everything. I went away full. I had a full family, and I come back empty. In fact, all of the things that we, she says about herself, she's wrestling with her God. She's talking um, she's, she's talking about God, and she's, but she's not testifying against God. She's testifying about, this is what I'm wrestling with. But the one thing that's not true is that she has not come back empty because Ruth is with her. And, you know, one of the things that's really profound about this, this whole thing is, is that I get back to this whole thing about Hased because this whole book it's like a testimony of people who are just kind of living in ways that are like everything that they do is actually never for their own benefit. They're actually doing things and saying things for the benefit of others. Um, every time Naomi says, like, Ruth, go out and do this, she's like, hey, I want to make sure that you're okay, so go do this. Naomi never asks, can you do this? Because I, I, I need you to do this. She's always asking things on Ruth's behalf. Ruth, excuse me, Ruth is also showing chesed towards Naomi because everything that she's doing, she's trying to do for Naomi's behalf. She's working hard in the fields. She's doing everything. She's coming back with food. She's making sure Naomi's okay. She's just outwardly focused and loving on others. And I think that in one sense, Naomi has her own wrestling, but she almost doesn't realize how many things are happening around her that are happening for her benefit. Boaz, she see, he sees Ruth in the field. The people see Ruth in the field, and they let her glean among the, the, the harvesters. They could have shooed her away. They could have done all these other things. Boaz could have like turned her in when he, she came to the threshing floor, but she, he respected her dignity and said, hey, come go, go out, and I, I'm going to take care of things. He sat sacrificed a lot for her. He, he, he provided for her. There's so many things that happen, and behind it all is, is the chesed of God, and this, this is the thing that, I'm sorry I keep getting emotional about this, but you know, you can study your entire life about hearing about God's grace, and God's favor, and God's mercy, God's patience, and then you start to and, and then things start to fall into place, and then you realize, this is God's character. This is the reason why God is gracious, is because it's his character to do this. In a sense, he can't help himself to be gracious towards the ones that he cares about. I was, I was in Starbucks a week ago, and I started, I started reflecting upon the fact that, sorry, got to get control of myself. I'm sorry. I can't, con- I can't communicate properly. I was thinking about the fact that as a father, in some ways, I'm really a poor disciplinarian in a lot of ways. It doesn't mean that I don't lay down the hammer sometimes. But I cannot, I cannot forbear punishments that I declare my kids are going to have to live out. And I wanted them to stop listening right now because they're going to figure it out one of these days and realize that God's going to, I'm sorry, that dad's going to have a chance to reflect upon it. And then he's, 
his chesed for me is going to be affected and he won't be able to follow through on the punishment that he said you're going to have to deal with. And I'm just a small, I'm a small analogy of how, how, much, how much favor God has towards his children. I'm like, I'm like pint size, smaller than pint size in the way that God has concern for those whom he loves. And so it doesn't matter if Naomi has certain things wrong in the way she's confessing things or the way that Naomi, I'm sorry, the way that Ruth is doing things. Now it does matter. It's not, it's not as if the things that we do that are wrong don't matter. I shouldn't say that. But God, God isn't like waiting to say, now Naomi, when you start singing about like, I've got that joy, joy, joy down in my heart, or you've got the right kind of attitude, then I maybe even heard this, that God is waiting to bless you, but, but you've got to say the right things. You've got to do the right things. You've got to do the, But all throughout this is testifying of the fact that when people aren't expecting that God's going to do anything for them, God's, God's plan is just, is that he's going to bless them with the things that they're confessing and in spite of the things that they're confessing because this is the way that God is. He's so faithful to us. And what's true of good friendship in the midst of the believing community is that you give people space to mourn and to wrestle with God. And maybe you even see the things that God is doing, but you don't say, oh, by the way, you know, did you see how God did that for you? And then get them to stop worrying or to stop um, being, having grief over things. Let them grieve, let them wrestle. But then let, and then in, in one sense, we can all understand that God is, is good to them, that he's going to take care of them even as we're coming alongside of them and taking care of them as well and it's beautiful it's it's what grace is in fact i'm convinced that when paul is saying um grace and peace to you he's saying has said and peace to you beloved because that's the way god is this is what grace is it's god's favor from eternity that he's he's so specifically got his heart upon you that he is making that 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 the the resurrection death, death and resurrection in your faith is planned from eternity that everything is working together for your good and even in the midst of that where it's too big for us to see because it's eternity and the things that happen to us and we feel like god is inscrutable he's big and everything else that god is still working things together for us in ways that we can't see and he's faithful to us. And then this is why he brings us into community because we're, we're moving together and providing that kind of that, uh, chesed with a, with a small h for one another. And we're loving on one another. We're caring for one another. We're being loyal to one another. We're working together in grief towards them. And so that at the end of the book, um, we see Naomi with a child on her lap who is continuing the line of the things that she had lost everything and God's bringing it about not because Naomi said I'm only going to worship you when I see that things are going to work out she's worshiping him throughout and she has a child now and it's not and in some ways we want to say well see how everything works out Naomi's happy and she doesn't ever have to worry about the fact that bad things happen to her no she still bears the mark and the sorrow of that and a grandchild can never replace the loss of children but it's just a testimony not of God's faithfulness to her but then in that child 
the child of Boaz is the grandfather or great-grandfather of David and in the line of our Savior. And God has chosen in all of these things and has said not only for Naomi that he would use whatever you want to call it, disobedience or anything, to send these, this family out to bring in a Moabitess from a far country who would confess Yahweh and she would be included in that line and he's working all of these beautiful things together that we would be saved by these actions, these things that Naomi says, the Lord has made my life bitter and yes, in one sense that's true, but look at of all the things that occurred, all of the, the, the reverberations of these seemingly bad decisions, but because God is so good and is, has said is so amazing, he brings about the salvation of the world and the continuation of this story. And it's really summed up best in Romans chapter 8 in one sense. This is, the, this is almost like the theme of the book of Ruth. It says in Romans chapter 8 verses 31 to 30, what then shall we say to these things if god is for us who can be against us he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with us with him graciously give us all things who shall bring any charge against god's elect it is god who justified who is to condemn christ jesus is the one who died more than that whom, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is, is, is um, interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation or diseases or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, and all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. This is... This is the salvation that we have. Can you hear said all throughout? Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Not even, not even your grief, not even the things that you think that you said wrong when you're grieving or the mourning that you had, not even the things that you, that not even the sins that you commit that you think that God couldn't possibly forgive. God pursues in Christ. It's his character to love his children. And so believe upon the chesed of Christ and, and lean into it. It's our only hope in life and death that God has such care for us. And so what a glorious God to worship and have faith in. Let us pray. Our Father, our God, we thank you for your chesed for us. We thank you for the picture of this in the, in the image of a woman grieving over her husband and children and how you were faithful to her throughout and showed your faithfulness even in the people that you brought into her life, even in the salvation of her daughter-in-law that led to our own salvation. 
Thank you for these pictures so that we might not be left with no examples of what it looks like to be in the midst of grief and to to feel the darkness all around us, but to be reminded of the way in which you bring about good and you bring people into our lives so that we might continue to walk and just to endure and to continue to... um, to, to, to work, to, to move with the people of God, bringing in uh, those from all around the world to confess the goodness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.